0: On this episode of the Hyperfast Agent podcast, we are joined by Noah Ostroff from Philly Living. Listen in as Noah presents at the Hyperfast Hangover event. We hope you enjoy. So Noah, tell everyone just a little bit about yourself. You're a complete beast.
2: Well, I, my name is Noah Ostrow from Philadelphia. Typically, when people ask me that question in real estate, really what they want to know is how many houses we've sold or how much business we do or any of that stuff. That's not usually the stuff I like to talk about because that's just a byproduct of of really everything else we like to everything else we do. But You know, if you really want to know about me, I like to I like to travel, I like to have fun, I like to be different, um, and I like to try to reinvent the way that things are being done and trying to figure out all the different aspects of real estate and how they tie into into each other. Um, But I think the the topic that that would be cool to talk about today about me is really just about wealth building because you know there's a lot of real estate stuff that we're going to talk about today, but that is really the vehicle that uh, allows us to build wealth. And I think it will be really uh, important for people that are listening to this to be able to hear all the things that everybody else is saying and be able to tie it into the long-term strategy, which is wealth building.
0: Right, well, I have a, I have a few things I have to say about Noah. So I've known Noah now for longer than I was alive before I known, I've known i known him. So it's been a long time. Um, we traveled, he said he likes to travel. We traveled around the world together and did semester at sea. So 12 countries in three and a half months. So we have that background, but over the years, I have learned so much from collaborating with you, Noah. We've gone back and forth and shared our team leaders and strategy. And he said that he likes to think about how to do things differently that is 100% accurate. He's always trying to figure out how do I tweak these things to have it be more meaningful the time I'm investing in something. And one of the things that stands out to me back in the day when you were actually doing listings, right? Noah would be so efficient. We'd be like in the middle of a mastermind and be like, oh, I got to ratify this listing real quick. And it'd take like three minutes and he'd be off the phone and be like, done. I'm like, what, that would take me like 30 minutes. I can't believe it. So I think you've figured out how to compress time. And from a wealth building perspective, I don't know if you remember, we took the train and we met in the middle somewhere. I think we met in like Baltimore and had coffee. And you said, hey, when you were looking at my wealth, like what was going on? And we're totally open book with P&Ls, with numbers, with everything. You said, Carrie, I feel like you're missing the long-term multifamily part of the the wealth building strategy. And so he was able to look at my portfolio and my vision and my plans and really diagnose. And that's part of what set Dan and I on the trajectory that we're on right now in the development space, right? So I so appreciate that. For anyone watching that says a wealth building strategy, like what does that mean? Just help them understand what we're talking about with that.
2: So when we we talk about wealth my definition i don't know if i came up with this or not but this is what i say wealth is about having one dollar more of passive income than you have in personal expenses so basically so you can be making money while you sleep right so if you have more more passive income than you have in personal expenses then you can fund the perfect life that you want so realistically if you wanted to take off for a month and go travel or do whatever you want you still have enough money coming in from your passive income to fund your life the question I, I ask a lot of people in real estate is if you stop selling houses tomorrow, which is funny, we, we used to ask this question, but actually this happened to pretty much all of us, right? In the last couple months, if you stop selling houses tomorrow uh, or if something happened to you, how much money would you have coming in to cover your expenses? And most of the time, the answer I get is either just a blank stare or the answer is zero, or the answer is not enough to cover my expenses. And there's, you know, if you read a lot of these financial books, they talk about being the difference between being rich and being wealthy. You know, being rich is like having a lot of money in your bank, but being wealthy is having money coming in and flowing in uh, without having to do anything, making money while you sleep. Because realistically, we talk about retirement. I want to tell you some statistics about this in one second, but we talk about. Um, retirement, you know, everybody uses the the magic age of 65 years old to retire. So everybody say, all right, when I'm 65 years old, I'm going to retire. But realistically, if you had enough passive income coming in to cover your expenses now, you could technically retire with $0 in the bank because you would never need to tap into your savings to fund all your expenses because you have the passive income coming in. So I wanted to share some some interesting statistics about this uh, 65- year age of retirement that that everybody you know sort of abides by so these are some statistics i have no idea where they came from they very well could be made up but they're very interesting so 36 percent of the people never make it to their 65th birthday so everybody's planning for retirement you know i'm not going to travel till i get to be 65 i'm going to do all this cool stuff when i'm 65 you know all that stuff 36 percent of the people never make it to their 65th birthday of the people by the time they turn 65 are living on family support or government support. 5% of the people by the time they're 65 were still working because they had to, right? They didn't have enough money to retire. So that only leaves 5% left over. So 4% of the people by the time they're 65, they're considered well-off. And only 1% of the people by the time they're 65 are considered wealthy. So everybody uses this magic age of 65 to retire but unless we plan properly from the time we're 20, 30, 40, whatever the age is, really, we should start planning as soon as we can. It's never too late. Unless you actually have a proper plan uh, or at least a path to, to retirement, you're never actually going to get there. Because the truth is, we never really know how much money we're going to need to live the rest of our lives because we don't know how long we're going to live for. We don't know what our expenses are going to be when we, when we decide to stop working. So if we have and if we know how much money we have coming in passive income before the next year ever starts, we can obviously manage our lives around that. So I'll I'll leave that there for right now. We can dive in. We can dive in deeper.
0: Those are those are pretty alarming statistics. Actually, I wouldn't have guessed thirty six percent of people don't make it to their 65th birthday. But it makes you want to seize the day, which is kind of, I think, a lot of um, people right now are feeling that way with Corona, right? Like. Wow, I've been trapped in my house. I haven't had the same opportunities that I normally would in the world. And so I think we're going to see a lot of people we're already having a huge uptick as an example in people reaching out about new construction because they want to design the exact house. So if they're ever stuck there again, they're happy. So when you think about the ways that people who are listening can generate that passive income. Let's imagine we have somebody who's listening that's like, okay, I have zero. I'm in the category where I have zero passive income and I don't have wealth. And I am, Jose just said this a little, it's overwhelming, right? Where would you tell them to start?
2: So it's never too late to start whether you're 20, 30, 40, 50, even 60 years old. It's never too late to start doing this. So, the first thing is is to just st- start to think of yourself as an investor. So, here's where I would here's where I would start. Figure out what avenue you want to invest in. So, actually let me take a step back from this. So, figure out what the end game is going to be for you. So, that could be figuring out what ad- what revenue streams you want to have. So, from the outside, I always tell people from the outside, it looks like I'm playing the same game as everybody else. Let's just try to see how many houses we can sell, who can sell the most houses. That's actually just one piece of my overall strategy. Selling houses, the real estate team is just one income stream that I have. Owning the brokerage is another one, title company, mortgage company, insurance company. These are all different income streams. Other businesses that I have, I do development. That's another income stream. I, I do... Um, and then with the end game to all of that is the the rental properties that I own, which is the passive income, right so so take your job, whatever your job is whether are most of the people on this call real estate people Carrie Yeah yeah, yeah. okay yeah. so take your take your job if you will, which is selling real estate or whatever it is you do for a job that's your job that's the thing that you come and do every day that's how you make your money then take that money and move it into. Uh, step two, or you can skip this step, but for me, step two, which is the uh, development stuff. So, whether you want to do one flip a year, a new construction flip or a renovation or something like that, if you're in real estate and you're a real estate agent, you have opportunities that most other people don't have, right? You have the access to the information that everybody else wants. So, take advantage of that, right? You're, You're selling... Other people, you're telling them how great of a deal this is and they, they should buy it. If it's truly that great of a deal, you should be buying it as many times as you can afford to buy it. And if it truly is a good deal, there's always going to be will, somebody that's willing to put up the money or invest in that. So take it from stage one, which is your job, which is where you make your money, to stage two, which is doing one flip a year or two flips a year, however many you're going you're gonna to do that you feel comfortable with that you can get the money for. And then you take that money, which usually comes in larger chunks, and you move that into the long-term wealth building stuff, which is the passive income, which is the rental property. So with the rental property, same as with the the flips, you have to just find what you like to do, whether it's you want to buy an existing building that already uh, has cash flow coming in, whether you want to buy a property that you can put a tenant in, whether it's single family. Or whether you want to do a renovation or new construction and build multifamily and um, uh, build the multifamily properties or mixed use properties or whatever, or even commercial properties that you can have tenants in that are paying you money every single month. So you have to figure out what part of that strategy you want, but then you just start doing it. And then as an investor, you have to always be a shopper, right? I always tell people like, you always have to be a shopper, but you don't always have to be a buyer. the the mistake that I see a lot of people have is they say, all right, well, I want to start investing in properties. And then, you know, within 30 days, they look at like two deals and and they pick the best of those two deals. They're not looking at enough deals to know what truly is a good deal. So you have to look at a lot of deals. And in order to look at a lot of deals, you have to always be a shopper, right? Always be looking at Mm -hmm. stuff. And then when the good deals come up and when the money's available and when the timing is right, then you become a buyer, then you become an investor. So can I dive in a little bit on this before you jump Please, to your next? Please, I would love question? you to. Yes. Yeah. So, just a couple notes on uh, on on just being an investor. So, there's a there's obviously risk that's associated with this, right? But just because there's risk doesn't mean it has to be risky, and that comes with being a uh, a shopper and understanding the market, understanding how to invest in multifamily properties, and really just becoming a student of. Investments. So, understanding the terms, understanding what makes a good investment, understanding how much return you potentially could get from a real estate investment versus putting your money in the stock market or a CD or keeping it in the bank or you know any other investments. Understanding um, you know terms like cash on cash return and cap rate and you know all the things that you need to know. Just becoming a student of that so that you are able to make informed decisions quickly when the time comes when the time comes to make them just from all your previous experience and knowledge that you have. Because if you don't have that knowledge and experience, when a good deal comes along, you're not really gonna know whether it's a good deal or not. Um, and most of these good deals, you have to act quickly. So, and then once you learn how to minimize your risk, you then you can greatly increase your returns because you're gonna be doing things that other investors aren't doing. So educating yourself is, is very important. Investing also requires action. You have to be be willing to take action when a good deal comes along. You can't sit there for too long and analyzing it. You have to be able to, you know, quickly do it on the back of a napkin, theoretically, which is, you know, just coming from your ability to understand uh, how to how to do all this stuff. But successful investing obviously requires the right action.
1: Hey, hold that thought. Do you want to get a hundred tips for free from my best selling real estate book, the hyperlocal Hyper fast real estate agent? If you do, go to hyperfasttips.com, and you can download 100 of my best tips today. Again, that's hyperfasttips.com. You can download 100 tips on how to grow your business, get more clients, deliver more value to more people. Go to hyperfasttips.com.
0: Um, Noah, you mentioned education. Do you feel like one approach would be to talk to developers? Because you kind of want to study the past, right? And understand what has happened with the deals that have recently closed out so that you can predict the future. And those numbers aren't available, like the construction budgets. And if somebody approached you and said, hey, how can I add value? And will you will you kind of walk me through the process and the numbers? what would they need to do for you to have you interested enough to spend an hour giving them that information?
2: So if I, if, if I'm putting myself in the position as a, a developer or investor, is that what you're asking? And and somebody's bringing me a deal. Is that what you're asking? How would they, how would they know what no, to say to me? No,
0: not a deal. I'm going all the way back to the education piece. Like it, if it's easy with a residential deal, like a, a single family home, if there's a flip, right? You see, you see what it was acquired for in the tax record. You see what it was sold for, but you don't necessarily know the construction budget. So for someone who's trying to do the research and really hone the numbers, the piece that I would think is most difficult when you're doing it for the first time, and there's a few, but is that construction budget. Because yeah. if they if they miss on that number, then the whole deal doesn't work, right? Yep. So how would you teach them to educate themselves about the construction piece and get comfortable with that so that they can take action with confidence?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. So the knowledge I was referring to before was really just understanding how to analyze the deals. But you make a good point. And part of understanding how to analyze the deals is... Um, understanding what your construction cost is going to be and understanding how much you can rent these properties for. So as a, as a real estate agent, that should be something that you would just know from running comps, but the construction piece of it, that I would say comes from experience. However, without the experience, you're going to need to either attach yourself to somebody with that experience uh, or hire somebody with that experience. So the person with the experience would be the builder, right? So on your first deal, if you're not in the construction field, my recommendation would be to, first of all, partner up with a client that is a builder that you've sold other stuff to before that you know their work, that you trust them, okay? If you don't have that, then ask around through some of your, your resources and some of the people that you do trust to find a reputable builder that you can run these numbers by and try to get an idea. Typically, you're not going to be able to get the exact number for every single property like when you have to make a quick decision. So eventually you have to understand like a ballpark number to use. So for a while, I was using $100 a square foot for just like for the stuff we build in Philadelphia, just $100 a square foot to build. Right. If you're building like new construction, well, costs have gone up? and the products are getting better. And, you know, now maybe you're looking at $125 a square foot, or if it's a certain product type, and if it's a corner property, maybe it's $150 a square foot, right? So you have to know all those different variables. But I guess the quick answer would be is just talk to a builder or developer that you know, somebody that understands their numbers well, that you can show them the product that you're looking to do or what you're looking to build and get their take on how much it's going to cost to build and do that and use them as a resource for the first X number of deals until you feel comfortable enough to be able to spit out the numbers on your own until you actually have done it yourself and know what the costs are actually going to be. And then from experience, you, you, you know, and you only really know what things are going to cost from doing the same product type over and over again. I mean, even me, you know, I've probably built, you know, over 500 places myself and, unless I'm doing the same product like a single family home or a multifamily building, that's the same thing. The costs are not the same. If I'm doing a 25 unit building, the costs are going to be way different than a 10 unit building or a three unit building. So, and I can tell you, I've been off by a lot. I've been off by a lot on projects and some projects I've been under on. So, you know, if you do the same thing over and over again, that's how you become the expert at it.
1: And In most markets, people, if you don't know the builder to go to, like you can, go to real estate investor meetup groups. There's there's a ton of them, I think, and you know, in most people's markets, like we've been running one for about half a year now. I'm sure you've got a bunch in Philly as well. So that's, that's a good place where you can meet other investors, builders, contractors, et cetera.
0: Yeah, that's a great suggestion. Another thing, and both of you guys actually are amazing at this. Noah, you mentioned earlier, hey, if you don't have the money, the money is there for a good deal. And I know what you meant by that. But for somebody who's never done a syndication or never raised money from somebody else, can you walk them through? Let's imagine, you know, they need $300,000 to do the flip that they want to do or $400,000. How would you structure that to attract the right investor?
2: Yeah, so that's a question I get a lot where you have people that want to become investors and start building their wealth, but they don't have enough savings, enough cash to be able to do that. So you don't want somebody like, if you are one of those types of people, that doesn't mean that you can't do those deals. So the the biggest value that you bring to the table as a real estate agent is is the deal, being able to find the good deals. That is the biggest value that you can bring. So if you have a good property that actually is good, and in Carrie's example, if you need $400,000 to do this there's ways you can structure it. So I'll give you, I'll give you one simple example. Uh, and there's so many different ways you can do this. I'll give you a, one example. And maybe I'll give you a couple examples. Let's say you need $400,000. Let's say that's the total equity that you need. So let's just say that $400,000 represents 25% of the total cost of the project. So that means you're going to get a bank to finance the other 75%, right? So this is this would be a big project. So 400,000 represents 25%. So you need one point. So the total project cost in this example that you gave will be $1.6 million. So whether that's a combination of acquisition acquisition and construction, or maybe this is a, a stabilized property that already exists and you don't need to do construction. Let's just say it's okay. $1.6 million all in. Well, you need 20, okay. typically 20, 25% down. And then the bank will finance the other 75%. Sometimes banks will go as high as financing 80. Sometimes they want 70. But let's just say 25, 75% is what the bank will finance. So you need $400,000 in equity. That's what you have to come to the table with. You don't have $400,000. What do you do? So there's a number of different ways. You can, you can go out to friends, family. You can go into a builder, maybe a builder that has money you have to find somebody that actually has the money, right? So that's, that. the key is actually going out and finding, and Kara, you could probably talk more on syndications that, that I, than I can, cause I usually just go to people that I know to get the money. But on a deal like that, you can say, Hey, the, the me bringing the property to the table is worth X amount of dollars, or maybe you're going to roll your commission into the deal. And on, you know, a million dollar property, the commission could be make up a number. 20, 30, $40,000, you could potentially roll that into the deal as your cash contribution. Um, And maybe you're selling it, or maybe you're renting it, or maybe you're managing the property. You can roll all that stuff in as your contribution. So let's say all your contributions add up to $200,000, whatever. I'm making up a number, $200,000. And maybe you say, because you found the deal, you're going to put a premium on top of that. And maybe now you're saying $300,000 is what you want your, cash con- your, your contribution to be. Now you have the person bringing the cash to the table of $400,000. So now you add those two up. You have $400,000 plus the $300,000. That's $700,000. So $300,000 divided by $700,000 is whatever percentage. And $400,000 divided by $700,000 is whatever percentage. And that becomes the percentage of ownership That each of you has in the property, and you can do it 50 50. You can, I'm making up percentages, but you can do it however you want. And there's a you know, you look at these things at just like any partnership or any business where it's you have a pie, right? And in that pie, there's different roles and responsibilities that need to get done. So, you figure out what the roles and responsibilities are going to be, who's going to do those. And you divide them up. One of the roles and responsibilities might be bringing the money to the table. One of them might be building the property. One of them might be finding the deals or managing the sales or you know any number of operational type things. So you figure out who's going to do what, and you figure out what the percentages are going to be, and you do it that way. That to me is how I typically do my deals. Carrie, I know you you got you and Dan are better at the syndication stuff. I don't really do much of that. So you you know if you want to talk about that.
0: Well, you do so much development. I mean. And I feel like going to friends and family is how we started doing it. We just, we just have structured it now. And Dan's the one who is the master strategist when it comes to how to structure it. But a lot of times we do a 15% preferred um, rate of return. And so it just outproduces what they could get in the stock market. So it becomes very easy to attract them to the deal. And that's yeah. just that's the cleanest way that we've done it. Um, and the simplest way to explain to investors, and then there's no ownership percentage or anything like that. Um, so that's one way that I would approach it. And people are looking for another solution outside of the stock market for sure. Um, yeah, I know if that we're find,
2: gonna... if you can find somebody that's willing to put up the money, all the money or most of it, just for fifteen percent on their money and no ownership, that's an amazing deal. I would I would do that all day as a as the developer. That would, that's, that would be mm-hmm. great to have a partner like that.
0: And we have many of them. At this point, we probably have 30 or 40 of them.
1: It's just, I mean, it's a matter of how you present it. You know, you, everyone feels comfortable putting their 401ks and stock you know, in, in the stock and look at what it's done since 2001. Like it's averaged like
2: 6% a year annualized. Yeah, and there's there's easy ways to do it, which I like. And then there's complicated ways where there's waterfall structures and, and preferred you know, returns and ownership stakes that have different waterfall structures. That is very complicated and I don't like the complicated. To me, I have to be able to make it, this, the simpler the better for me.
0: Completely, completely. Well, I know we are gonna run out of time here, Noah. If there's one thing that you would leave people with to get them moving towards generating you know, multiple streams of income and wealth, what would, what would that tip be?
2: So if I were to leave people with one piece of advice is to as far as wealth building stuff goes, is it's never too late to start. Start figuring out what your strategy is going to be today. You know, if you this is a Warren Buffett quote, but if you're if, if you're not making money in your sleep, then you're working till you die. I think that was a quote, something like that. So figure out how you can make more money while you sleep figure out how you can have more passive income coming in, come up with a plan, make it a long-term plan, keep chipping away at it, come up with a goal and say, Hey, I want in 10 years, I want to have hundred thousand dollars a year in passive income, whatever, make up a number. That means every year you need to be have increasing your passive income by $10,000 per year. That could be one property. That could be 10 properties. It doesn't really matter but focus on the net income that you're going to be increasing your passive income every year and keep chipping away at it. It's, it's, it's a wealth ratio that we look at, right? Your, your, expen- your, your passive income divided by your expenses, right? And you want to keep chipping away at that until it's 100% covered. So it requires effort. It requires you to always be shopping. It requires you to take action. And every single month, every single year, just keep chipping away at it and have a long-term perspective on wealth building. Cause wealth building is essentially the, the business that you're building for the future. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. It's something that happens, you know, later on in your, in your business career. And it's something that you have to continue to chip away at every single day, every single month, and just take some action.
0: Love it. Well, Noah, thank you so much for being here today. You're amazing and it's good to see you and hope to see you soon.
1: And if, if people guys. want to get in touch with you, Noah, what's what's the best way for, for people listening?
2: Yeah, if you want to get in touch with me, just shoot me an email. Noah at phillyliving.com. Love it. All right. Thanks, Noah